raising health awareness. As in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. They knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. This in Matthew 24. In the last days, it'll be the same way. People are unaware of their needs. Their wants may not be equal to their needs. Okay? This is in section one. Um, this is in section one. Uh, this one is called Raising Health Awareness. And it's towards the end there. Is that right? The second last page. In the last days will be the same. People have great needs. People are unaware of their condition. Unfortunately, this seems to be part of human nature. Most people are unaware of their health needs until something serious happens. Then, when something serious happens, it's too late to prevent it. Okay? And this is the case, uh, Pastor Cotter, when you're talking about this individual. What I'm talking about is what issues that are important for your lifestyle to prevent that heart attack. Some of us are going to have a heart attack anyways. But the prevention that we've gone through might have postponed that for 20 years or 30 years. You see? However, when we come down with this stroke or heart attack or cancer, that is definitely a teachable moment when we can go back to the roots. And the prevention roots are still equally beneficial for preventing secondary occurrence. All right? A prudent person sees the danger ahead, and takes precautions. The goal in health promotion is to help people become aware of their needs and help them take preventive actions before serious problems will occur. Now, if we look at the causes of preventable deaths, poor lifestyle choices account for 50% of all the causes of preventable deaths. <coughs> Sure, there's some life, some environmental factors that we need to be aware of. We don't want to be breathing diesel smoke or gasoline fumes or ingesting excessive pesticides, okay? We want to get adequate medical care. Lack of early diagnosis is a cause of much, of some 10% of uh, preventable deaths. And here's unhealthy lifestyles. And in all of these areas here, we have choices. We can choose not to smoke. We can choose not to be overweight. We can choose to eat well and get some exercise. We can choose not to drink alcohol. We can choose most of the time not to be exposed to various uh, bacteria and other microbial agents. We can choose not to use firearms. We can choose to practice good safe sexual behavior. We can choose to wear a seat belt or choose not to ride in motor vehicles. See, those are choices that we can make. And there's a, some of these are related to a certain number of deaths per year. So an overall lifestyle and intervention involves all of those. It involves using your seat belt, as well as not drinking alcohol or not smoking cigarettes. The leading causes of death in the US you can see here, heart disease still up there, number one. And this hasn't changed in, in 20 years. Uh, what does change, sometimes men or women change around, and sometimes age brackets change around. But overall, that's still true, and it's true of all developing countries. As a country goes from an undeveloped country and move towards a developing country, they begin to eat the same way we do and begin to not have exercise like we do. And, um, uh, 
preventable deaths. Huge amounts of opportunity here for preventable deaths by not using tobacco, getting exercise, lowering uh, blood cholesterol and blood pressure, getting your pneumonia vaccine if you're over 65, getting your flu shot on an annual basis. Last year, we began recommending everybody take an annual flu shot. Whether you agree with that or not, I would encourage you to get an annual flu shot if I'm going to be having any discussions with you. I don't want to shake your hand. I don't want to breathe your air unless you've got a flu shot. Okay? I don't want my kids being exposed to you if you don't have that as well. You can choose not to get a flu shot. That's fine. In our office, we give out free flu shots to all of our employees. Only about half of them take that. And then we aggressively pursue individuals who don't, who come down with a illness to stay home and take care of themselves. Because I don't want them exposing me or my employees to that illness that they could have prevented. Okay? I don't see you take the flu, but I still get the flu. Well, you cannot get the flu, which is identical to what was in the flu shot, but you can get variations of that because the flu um, changes its viral status um, easily over time. Uh, be sure you're getting mammographies. Be sure you're checking your, your, uh, your, your bowel movement, your bowel habits. And if you're of a certain age, be sure you're getting some of the um, colonoscopies and a pap test. PAP test has been around for years, and it's, it, and it's pretty good for early diagnosis. Some physicians will recommend an aspirin a day for those to prevent heart attacks. Now, where do you want to be in this natural history of disease? We have certain health practices and lifestyle that we can begin here, or we can wait till we get clinical signs and symptoms. Clinical signs and symptoms, you know, are, are chest pain and elevated cholesterols, uh, fatigue. Rather than going into this phase down here, <coughs> I want to, I spent my life emphasizing this over here so that we can <coughs> prevent going to this direction. So if you've got a poor diet, change it. If you don't exercise, exercise more. This is, you know, primary prevention. If you've got high cholesterol or high blood pressure, get those fixed. Even if you need medicine, get them fixed. If the lifestyle isn't working enough for you for your blood pressure, take some medicine. Get it fixed. You need to stay over here. Otherwise, it will move here. The costs of treatment here are much less than the costs over here. Okay. So the first step in health improvement is to raise awareness. Know what your numbers are. Do all of you know what your routine blood pressure, cholesterol, and glucose are? How many of you do? At least once a year. If you don't, that's a mistake. You need to, be, you need to know what those, those are the basic minimum numbers you should know. Blood pressure, cholesterol, blood sugar. Okay? Those are the primary risk factors that we have when we look at the major diseases that we have in our country today. Now, we have some stages of change. Some people aren't ready to take action. They need to be taught. And this is where I like Wall Street Journal, Red Book, Family Circle. They've helped raise the awareness they take scientific articles, and they write them for the lay public, and they raise awareness. That's a good thing most of the time, OK? And it helps individuals move from pre to contemplation to preparation to taking action. This is where it happens. And once you're here, you want to figure out how to maintain that good and appropriate behavior. So pre-contemplation, you might invoke some awareness programs contemplation, some assessment programs. This is where you'll do free blood pressure screenings or free, free glucose checks 
offer to do health fair. All that is awareness and assessment. Those are good things. And then you want to offer some education programs to come back. Okay, and eight weeks of wellness is one of the, an excellent education program. You also want to offer some change programs. So in when you've once you've done some some health fairs, some health emphasis weekends, <coughs> you may want to do some cooking schools, uh, eight weeks to wellness, and then you will identify some folks who have more specific needs. You might have some folks that need help with blood pressure or uh, high cholesterol or diabetes or blood sugar. Um, and cooking schools would fall in both of these areas here, you see. And then don't forget to offer some maintenance programs. All the churches I've worked with, I've recommended that if we do a health emphasis weekend and we, we go through this health fair and a health emphasis weekend and do some programs, you know, once a month or once a quarter, do some follow-up programs. Keep people engaged. You need it as well, and you can share your success with your participants. Yes? Sure, very, very true. So one school district simply promoted the use of whole grains, and in one year they increased their percentage from 30 to 80 percent. You don't have to choose everything. I recommend most people choose two things, more physical activity and choose one specific food, whether it be more whole grains or more fruits and vegetables. Choose something like that. Choose a couple things, or maybe it's exercise and drink more water. Don't, you don't have to choose everything, okay? We talked about Mavis and Ben last year or yesterday. Uh, Phil was a physician who came down with diabetes in his mid-60s. And he got on the program and turned it around. And he was going to quit being a doctor. But he turned, he turned his life around and continuing practicing uh, medicine. So know, know your numbers. What are the three you should know? Cholesterol, blood sugar, and blood pressure. At least once a year, you should have them measured professionally. You can get your blood pressure done um, every day, every week, every month at the local pharmacy. Usually they have a machine there. Or your doctor would be happy to have your blood pressure uh, checked if you go into the office. Um, those individuals that um, the control group had certain number of medical claims, and the wellness group had less medical claims. A lot of corporate studies that document this. Also, the control group had so much work, lost time. The control group, I mean the wellness group, had less work loss. So there's less absenteeism. There's less sickness. There's less missed work in those who observe and employ wellness program. Same with a, another school district. Um, the program started here, but the years before, their, their medical claims times 1,000 can't continue going up every year. So where were medical claims going to be in this year? Up here somewhere. They Im implemented a employee wellness program, and the medical claims went down to where they were the previous year. Employers are, Fortune 500 companies are doing this all over the country. Okay? We have 1,200 companies in our well-source database that are doing those sorts of things because of this reason. Employee costs are going up and up and up for medical care. We worked with Safeway for years, and their workers' comp claims dramatically decreased from where they were, and then 10, 12 years later, 
they reduced their claims by 90%. Did you know that walking briskly three and a half hours a week, that's only about 30 minutes a day, reduces your risk of stroke by 52%. As little as one drink a day increases your risk of breast cancer. Alcohol causes 100,000 100, premature deaths each year. That, that should be year. Sorry about that. Every cigarette smoke shortens one life by 14 minutes. By eating five or more servings of fruits and vegetables daily, you may reduce your risk of most cancers by 30 to 50%. These are good things. These are not difficult things. Yes? Well, that, that's a good question. What, what's a serving of fruit and what's a serving of vegetable? Typically, one cup raw and a half a cup cooked. Okay? That's basically a serving. Um, and then a serving of a protein food um, is about the size of the back of your hand, if you have a small hand. <laughs> two, two to three ounces of a um, protein serving. Okay. One, uh, one medium-sized banana is a serving. One medium apple. One medium fruit. Well, whether it be meat or fake meat, you know, a, a two to three ounces. I don't care. Two to three ounces. Two to three ounces. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Eating three or more servings of whole grain breads can reduce your chance of a heart attack. Oh, yeah, people who eat nuts, thank you. <laughs> people who eat nuts daily have a third to one-half fewer heart attacks. A third in the Harvard study, a half in the Adventist Health study. So we got a range there. Who's right? Well, they both are. For every hour you exercise daily, you can expect to live an additional two, year, two hours longer. OK? So these are good things. This is what we should be doing all the time. So you can do some various awareness strategies, a wellness assessment, health fairs, posters, newsletters. Most of the churches I belong to, uh, when I've been a member, I've always engaged the church to have um, health nuggets. And there are hundreds of health nuggets that you can share. If you run out of ideas, a general conference has a, um, a newsletter called um, Vibrant Health. Find lots of ideas in there. Or, or just read some of the medical journals and put it into layperson's terms, and then here's some health nuggets that you can share. Just two or three minutes. Um, yes? Health bits. That's right. That's right. You can get that. Yes? The slides are not in there, but there's a Word document in the, in the book that summarizes this. Yeah, you, you don't have the slides for these. You just got a Word document in, in your book. Okay, yes? Positive choices. Okay. So there's lots of Adventist free uh, websites that you can get abundant sources of health nuggets. Um, personal testimonies are great. I encourage you to use them. Make sure they become personal testimonies and not judgmental um, experiences. Okay, because many of our evangelistic health Persons become fanatic about certain things, and it makes other people uncomfortable. So you want to monitor that, OK? Um, I've been invited many churches to do health sermons, health sermons over a health emphasis weekend, and then the local health ministry leaders take it on from there. Yes? Uh, Pastor Pat has sent an email, general email to the membership 
Good for him. Good for him. Okay, before we get into this um, good carbohydrate lecture, I want to take a moment and talk about blood pressure. You should know your blood pressure. Mine will probably be a little bit elevated now since I'm up in front of you. But here's, an, here's a little little gadget that does a wrist blood pressure. You want to put it on properly and hold it at, your, at the level of your heart and then just let it pump up and take a blood pressure. It'll measure your heart rate and your blood pressure. I'll pass this around and you can check your blood pressures. Make sure you do what I'm doing. Put it on properly and put the gadget at the level of your heart. And you'll hear it beeping. Okay, uh, 111 over 74. That's actually pretty good. Um, so you want to put this on. So this arrow is pointing down about the middle of your wrist. I mean the middle of your hand. So it rests right there. So the pulse is over your, your artery there. And then put it on tight. Hold it next to your arm. We've got four or five of these. I don't know how much they are, but uh, this is a good traveling blood pressure. If you want to, if you need to get your blood pressure checked throughout the day, uh, Catherine has some of those at the booth. You can buy these things at um, Walmart and Amazon.com. Just about any place has these kind or the desktop. Um, if they're done properly, I found them to be equally beneficial. Okay, but some folks, if their arm, if they have a little too much extra um, fatty tissue, it may have a problem with this one, and the wrist one may be easier to take. Or you can get a large size cuff for here. So it just depends, and you always want to compare these with the mercury um, uh, sphygmomanometers that the doctors have in their office. That that's the gold standard. Okay. We've always used a brand called Omron, O-M-R-O-N. That seems to be the one we use all the time. And we get, we've, we've had good reproducible results with that one. Um, in health fairs, I used to have, um, I used to use a stethoscope and um, a mercury sphygmomanometer to measure blood pressure. And I'd get lots of volunteers to help me. Unfortunately, most of the volunteers were uh, older nurses or retired nurses because they had the time to volunteer. And their ears aren't quite as good as they used to be. And so I got tired telling people that they were slowing down. <laughs> they were losing some of their ear function. And no one likes to hear that even if they are retired. So I've gone to these um, um, digital gadgets all the time. The other thing is there's lots of ambient noise around. No matter how good your ears are, you, you might not quite hear the blood pressure sounds that you want to hear to get that perfect blood pressure. Okay, and Especially at a health fair, there's lots of ambient noise. Use these digital gadgets. They're perfectly acceptable as long as they're administered properly. And they're put on the right way, and they look, they're, they're, they're in the right place to measure the arterial sounds. OK? Yes? Yeah, I, I used to agree with that, too. But the fact is, the blood pressure is the blood pressure. You know, that's what it is. You know, um, you know, whether you take it when you come up from stairs or sit down for 10 minutes and then take it, uh, you're going to get different levels. Your blood pressure is fluctuating all the time. Exactly. OK? And if you're going to do a, if you're going to 
take a life insurance exam and you want to get a, the best blood pressure possible, you want to exercise for a couple hours before you go in. Then you want to rest for about an hour and then lay down um, on your right side um, so that the heart is a little bit elevated. And you know, there's all sorts of tricks to lower your blood pressure, but it doesn't do any good to reduce your risk of stroke. You know, you want to have your, your, your blood pressure throughout the whole day to be low, so when you run up the stairs, it's still low. And if you run, rush around doing um, health care stuff, it's still low. It doesn't raise, if it raises that much, then you've got high blood pressure. Okay? What is a normal blood pressure? Yes, what I want to hear is less than 120 and less than 80. 120 over 80 is the beginning of high blood pressure. Now, clinically, we're not going to treat you for high blood pressure until it's over 145, over 90 on a regular basis. Okay? But before that, we call pre-hypertension. And ideally, your blood pressure should be less than 116 over less than 76. That's an ideal blood pressure. Okay? 116 over 76, less than that. That's an ideal blood pressure. Um, many of us aren't going to have that anymore. Okay? I'm just happy to have it 120 over 80 or 125 over 81 or 82. <laughs> 90 over 60 when you're a, you know, a 100 pound, 5 foot 3, that's perfectly normal. I can't hardly do anything to raise my wife's blood pressure because she's, you know, so tiny and uh, that's a good thing. Um, well, we'll do this later. Let's go through then. Now, we talked about good fat yesterday. Now we're going to talk about good carbohydrates. I'm probably not going to take the time to go through every single one of these slides. They gave me, in eight weeks to wellness, um, 11 hours to go through this seminar, where we usually have been given 15 hours. So. Um, you can read the material just as well as I can in there. There's lots of other um, train-the-trainer stuff we wanted to give you. It needs to go over your left. It has to be on your left wrists. Sorry, I need to make that clear. Um, but I'll try. These are unhealthy carbohydrates. Notice that this is all vegetarian. Do you recognize some of those foods there? Shame on you. <laughs> you know, it's all vegetarian. Okay? Healthy carbohydrates are plant-based foods that have not been highly refined or processed. So we need to eat food as close to the natural state as possible. Okay? Do you agree with me? Sure. By design, our creator designed them high in dietary fiber. They're high in vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and a whole host of phytochemicals. The scientists are still identifying what those chemicals are. Because they're high in fiber, they're absorbed more slowly, and they normalize blood sugar. We don't get this spiking of blood sugar where we have to shoot in a bunch of insulin to lower the blood sugar. Then it comes down too low. Then we're starving. Then we eat some food or junk food, and it spikes the sugar again. And that spiking and lowering of blood sugar after 30, 40 years it is what leads us to adult-onset diabetes. And these high in dietary fiber, natural foods are moderate in calories. So we got fruits and vegetables, legumes and whole grains. These foods can help prevent all these host of diseases, all the ones that have become so popular in our country. 
There are four carbohydrate food choices that prevent disease and promote health. One is eat more fruits and vegetables. That's not a new concept, right? You've heard that before. Why? They're high in fiber, high in antioxidants, high in nutrients, low in calories. And you know, I love the way these taste. I've taught seminars, hundreds of them, and I'm amazed how many people say, I never eat fruit, or I can't stand vegetables. OK? Now, I, I, I concede that there are some fruits and some vegetables that each of us may not like. OK? Can you name for me a vegetable or a fruit that you don't like? Apricots. Brussels sprouts. And, and I'm OK with one or two. Okra. Eggplant. Turn, turnips. Yes, the turnip itself. Disgusting food. Huh? Cauliflower. OK. It's OK to have one or two fruits or vegetables that you don't like. You just got to eat them anyways. OK? Get over it. OK? No, seriously, if there's one or two you don't like, that's OK. But I've had people say, I can't eat any fruit. Oh, I feel so sorry for them, OK? But really, you need to get over it. I do not like Brussels sprouts. So I always eat three and no more than three until somebody at a fellowship dinner one time brought in some um, stir-fried, lightly roasted, seasoned wonderfully Brussels sprouts. And they were not boiled and, and soft and yucky. And they were absolutely delicious. Delicious. Most of the time, we don't like a vegetable because they have not been prepared to your liking. OK? So figure out how to prepare them properly and eat them, over, eat them anyways. And if you don't like it still, get over it. Eat it anyways. At least eat three pieces. Yes? Yeah, I know that. Yeah. Uh, something Yeah. You raise a very good point. Most of us, some dietitians have done studies on what most of us eat. It doesn't matter what culture you belong to, what country you're from, it doesn't matter. We all eat different foods, but most of us eat the same food over and over again. And it's about 10 or 12 different foods, and we eat that over and over again. Okay? And therein, it doesn't matter if you're Asian or Islander or, or North American or Central or South American. We all have same foods, we, different foods, but we eat those different foods the same way over and over again. We need to get the variety. And if you're not getting the variety and not eating enough fruits and vegetables, and that variety, then you need to make sure you get a good supplement that kind of fills in the edges. It doesn't much matter what supplement you get as long as you take a good one and you measure your uh, values so that your, your uh, calcium intake and absorption is appropriate, your vitamin D is appropriate, um, um, your homocysteine is appropriate, um, your, bio, your, your B12, is appropriate. And if some of those markers are OK, then you're probably getting good nutrition with the supplement as a filler in the crack kind of thing. OK. Um, aim for 7 to 10 servings each day. Emphasize the, emphasize the brightly colored fruits and vegetables. But eat them all. As we've traveled around the world, I'm amazed at how many different fruits there are available. The vegetables don't change pretty much. But there's lots of different exotic fruits around the world. 
There's some. There's even some fruits that that very few people very few people don't market well, but they're still good for you. Yeah, you ever um, not usually. Um, some people can have a problem with raw mixing of fruits and vegetables. If that has a digestive issue with you, if it gives you a, 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 um, a dyspeptic stomach, is what Ellen White calls it, then that's something you should pay attention to. But that's one of those things that is much more important to lower your blood pressure, lower your cholesterol, get exercise than it is to worry about mixing fruits and vegetables. But for some people, it is an issue, OK? So I put that way down on a uh, uh, one, two, or three on a scale of, of, of 100. And exercising and lowering your weight and lowering your blood pressure up there in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. It may be an issue, but we don't have any good science to support it. Yeah. That's right. That's just. That's exactly right. That's yeah. That's exactly Rose. I think that I, that's what I said. If you have a dyspeptic stomach, then same thing. If you're struggling with losing weight, maybe you can benefit from eating two meals a day. I don't recommend eating two meals a day. When I eat two meals a day, when I eat two meals a day, I've got to eat so much food it makes me uncomfortable because of my exercise levels. But again, there's nothing wrong with eating two meals a day as long as you're temperate about eating two meals a day. Yeah? Yeah, it's a treatment modality for a specific individual. That's what it is. OK? Yes? I'm just recalling that you were told that you may need supplement vitamin B12. Yes. What fruits and vegetables are high in that? OK, there's lots of fruits and vegetables with B12 that as long as you leave the soil and fecal matter on it. That's the only source of B12. Now, that's, while that's a true statement, I don't recommend you eat food, <laughs> fruits and vegetables, with soil and fecal matter on it. Okay, So if you're not going to eat meat with blood in it, where the B12 comes from, then you need to take a good supplement. There is no plant-based, there is no clean plant-based source of B12, OK? How do you know you're eating enough B12? Have your blood test taken, OK? All the milks, the soy milks, and all the cereals we eat today are fortified with B12. Why? Because? No. It's not absorbed well when it's fortified. It's not absorbed well when you take it in a supplement. Okay, And when you get over 60, it may not be absorbed at all. So you've got to get your blood test done. Vegetarians, it's extremely important to get your blood, especially vegans, but equally so for vegetarian. Have your blood test done. Work with your physician. It's important that you get adequate protein, adequate B12, adequate calcium, um, adequate zinc, uh, iron. You see, in our cookbook on page uh, 57, I think it is, we've got a list of all these things. Those are the main ones. And it's not important that you take in lots of calcium. What's important is that you absorb the calcium that you take in. How do you know that? Have a bone density exam. That's the only test. It is pretty much useless to have a blood test for calcium. Why? Because your blood will need calcium. Calcium is very important for muscle contraction. Where does the blood get adequate sources of calcium? From your bones and teeth. So it's pretty much useless to have a blood test for calcium. But work with your physicians. Have your blood test done. They know what to take. They know what test to do. And um, have your B12 done. Yes? We were told some time ago that if I wake in the morning, you're supposed to watch TV. 
You know, do you know where that B12 comes from? It comes from all your bacteria defecating in your mouth. Swallow that. It's a good idea. It's natural. Okay? But is that enough B12? How do we know? Get your blood test done. Okay? Now, do you want to ignore B12 deficiency? B12 deficiency in, in vegans could occur within three years, in non-vegans could occur within nine to 12 years. B12 deficiency can often mimic multiple sclerosis, and B12 deficiency can often be, um, be irreversible nerve sheath damage, meaning irreversible nerve conduction function. So you don't want to mess with B12 deficiency. It's real easy to prevent B12 deficiency. Get your blood test, take a supplement, or eat blood. Now, I recommend you not eat blood. I'm a vegetarian. Okay? I recommend you not eat decontaminated and uh, uh, meat and meat sources or excessive amounts of milk. It's very easy to get adequate B12 if you're a plant-based eater. But eating Now, Ellen White said years ago, 150 years ago, all the nutrients you need are found in nuts and grains and fruits and vegetables. And that was very true, 100% true 150 years ago. Why is it not true today? Because 150 years ago, we ate fruits and vegetables with soil and other mildly contaminated ingredients in our product. Today, we live in a pure, sterile environment. Our food is brought to us a lot cleaner than it used to be. And in fact, when it doesn't come to us clean, we get salmonella poisoning or E. coli or something along this nature, okay? It's a whole lot easier to take a supplement than to eat dirty food. What supplement? I don't care. Have a blood test done. If you're, the lower limit of B12 is 250, that's too low. You need to be 450 or more. Find a good supplement, take it. You know you're on the good supplement, and you know you're eating proper amounts if your blood test is fine. Okay? Work with your physician. Don't ignore B12. Yes? On eggs? Um, organic eggs, or eggs in general, and organic I like better because they're theoretically healthier, okay? Uh, can be an excellent source of protein. And if you get rid of the um, egg yolks, then you've, you, you're not in, ingesting the cholesterol. That may be a problem for some people. Okay? I will occasionally eat eggs because I'm gluten sensitive and I can no longer eat a lot of foods that I used to eat. A lot of older folks are starving themselves and I highly recommend they eat eggs because they're just not getting enough nutrition. So it depends on the situation. I would not eat eggs if you don't need the extra nutrition that comes from eggs. Yep. We, we, we don't know all the issues about soy yet, but what we're beginning to believe is the soy in America um, is not manufactured the same, possibly, as a soy in Asia. Asia has been eating soy for two or 3,000 years. Okay? Soy and the, the fermented soy may be a lot healthier than the, than the, um, than the regular soy. Um, so tempeh, miso, uh, actually is healthier for you. Uh, it's got a unique flavor, and you may want to flavor enhance it a little bit. <laughs> uh, you might want to use it. I, we like using tempeh and miso as a meat substitute in stir-fry. Okay? It has a, has a flavor that some different flavors that you can look at. Um, I would be cautious about eating too much 
soy, not the fermented soy is okay, but the regular soy, I'd be cautious about eating too much. Well, it can it can elevate some um, hyperthyroidism or hypothyroid depending on the individual. But in a balanced, you know, two or three times a week, that hasn't been an issue. When people give up meat and when they're eating meat half their meal and they throw in soy, that's when we see some of these issues come up. So balance, you know, the balanced dietary is a principle that we need to not ignore. Yes? Yeah, I want to um, ask you about if the product is made from soy isolate, then you never ever want to touch that. If it's made from whole grain, then it's better. Yeah, the, the, the whole soy is much better. But I still think the miso, the, the uh, fermented soys, would be better for us. That's a good question. Um, there, I would imagine there'd be less B12 in, in the kosher meats. Um, but I'm not sure. But intellectually, I think that would be true. Again, we eat so much soy. We find B12 fortified in soy milks, um, in the cereals. It's almost a non-issue. But check your blood pressure, or ch check your vitamin uh, B12 levels, and then make a decision. If it's at least 450 or more, whatever you're doing is fine, OK? Fruits and vegetables and strokes. Three servings of fruits and vegetables reduce your stroke risk 45%. That's a good thing, OK? A vegetable and fruit and probability of dying. The highest intake of, of uh, vegetable and fruit in women, the lowest risk of uh, premature death. Same for men. Best sources of antioxidants. These are the dark, mostly they're the, the dark colors, the brilliant colors. Um, I don't particularly like kale and broccoli and spinach, but I eat a lot of it anyways. Okay. I agree with the first President George Bush. He said you don't need to eat broccoli. But I think we should eat broccoli. And I eat it. Uh, I eat half as much as my wife does, but I still eat it. Okay, I don't care if it's raw or cooked. I still eat them. And they're fine. I'd prefer to eat some peas or carrots, but I still eat them. Okay? So if you've got foods up here you don't like, that's okay. Just get over it and eat them anyways. Uh, we had some green beans here the other day. Um, they don't know how to cook them, but they were still green beans. I eat them. They were fine. All right, so, and, and there isn't, I've eat, you should be eating everything on this list because there are higher nutrients in something than broccoli. And this will have a different set of nutrients than beets. And, you know, so you get a variety and let your, let your metabolism figure out um, how to put it all together. Same with these fruits. There isn't any on there that you shouldn't be eating. And um, kiwi, we never used to get it in this country. Now they grow it in California. Okay? Um, and living in Canada, we'd never eat these foods except occasionally for one or two months in the summer. And then now we you know, canned them all. And, and if you're living in areas where you don't have access to this fresh, then you need to eat them fresh, frozen, or canned. Nothing wrong with canned. Canned or frozen can be just as healthy as fresh. They may not taste the same, but they're just as healthy. And when you eat canned, you want to make sure it's, it's lightly sweetened or no sweetened, or lightly salted or no salted. Yes? Yeah. Well, the, uh, there's a um, yeah. Frozen, frozen may actually be better than fresh, 
because fresh is picked early and then transported. What's best is fresh from a farmer's market or frozen compared to fresh that has been transported, okay? And then canned. And yes, we should pay attention to what liners the scientists are putting in the cans, okay? Early, years ago, there weren't any liners. Now they put some liners in and, and we want to stay away from those. Yes? Uh, hi, um, um, uh, what's that called? Um, like apricots, dried, dried apricots, excellent sources. Um, depending on how hot and how long they've been exposed to air, you can lose some of the antioxidants. But dried fruit can be an excellent source of fruit because it preserves the, the, uh, the shelf life of that fruit, but I wouldn't let that be your only source of that fruit, okay? Just get a variety. I like the statement of eat a wide variety of unrefined foods in sufficient quantity to maintain your ideal weight. So we sometimes fall down in wide variety. We fall down, fall down in unrefined, and we fall down in sufficient quantity because we just eat too much. Okay? Now, you can go online to the USDA government website and you can download hundreds, if not thousands of pages on nutrient analysis on all the food. Food like this or packaged foods or processed foods. In graduate school, we had to study this in detail and do it all by hand. Now you can do it all by computer. And you can get an app to put on your phone and you can put in how many grams or how many ounces of something you've eaten, and throughout the day it totals it all up, and it gives you a total detailed analysis of everything you ate, exactly how much protein and calories and all the vitamins, all the minerals, all the antioxidants that you may have consumed throughout the day. It's all available for free for you. Um, you can go to eatright.org, or you can buy an app for your um, smartphone, or for your computer. The more frequent consumption of vegetable, whole grains, aspirin and folic acid reduce the risk of colon cancer. Okay? Cancer prevention. Choose predominantly plant-based. I would stay away from as much insecticides or in pesticides as you can. I think organic foods are probably healthier for us. We don't have any studies, um, longitudinal studies to document that, but it just makes good sense. But what is the definition of organic? There's not a universal definition of organic, but they're working on that. So as often as we can, we'll purchase organic fruits and vegetables, okay? It, at least if they're the same price. If the organic is more expensive, we usually don't purchase them. But when we do consume not organic foods, and we make sure we wash them properly, and you can buy some of these uh, vegetable soaps to wash things, and, and, and that's fine. I would certainly do that. Um, maintain a healthy weight. Uh, walk briskly and eat five or more servings of fruits and vegetables. We say this repeatedly because that's how important it is. Yes? Sure. Something about sea salt and lemon juice. So there's lots of ways to eat fruits and vegetables. There's raw. Have you ever heard of raw? <laughs> Keep a supply of fresh fruit on the table or counter. If you're going to have a snack, that's a much healthier snack. I don't recommend a snack, but if you want one, that's the thing to do. Eat more salads. Stir fry. Fruit salads. 
finish a meal. I usually finish a meal with a mixture of nuts and seeds. That, and I chew it well, but it gives me a, a, um, a high satiety level to my taste buds, and I feel content. Okay, nuts and seeds. Choose whole grains. Okay, many different kinds of whole grains, and don't forget there's brown rice grains. Every restaurant I go to, I always ask for brown rice. Oh, no, we don't serve brown rice. But I always ask, even if I know they don't have it. I want them to get the idea that customers want brown rice. Okay? Whole wheat and heart disease. About a 50% reduction in heart disease when we eat whole grains. Okay? So, a variety of whole grains. There's multi-grains and oatmeal and um, high-fiber cereals, brown rice. There's brown rice pasta. There's gluten-free pasta if you need that. There's various kinds of cereals. Experiment with all different kinds. The longer it takes you to make oatmeal, the healthier that oatmeal is. So those steel-cut Irish oats are the best ones for you. They just take 30 to 45 minutes to cook. So if you're rushed in the morning, just as soon as you get up. Yep. You want to avoid a high glycemic load. This is a concept we never used to teach, but now we think it's important to know. And let me explain what this is. Glycemic index uh, identifies the the effect of carbohydrate on blood sugar. High glycemic index foods raise blood insulin and blood sugars quickly, usually higher than desirable. Glycemic index is determined by feeding subjects various carbohydrate foods and comparing their rise in glucose levels to equal amounts of sugar or white bread. So we're looking at glucose and insulin curves. And white bread spikes the glucose and spikes the insulin response, whereas spaghetti, just simple white spaghetti, it's a different kind of grain, it has a much more moderate rise in blood sugar and moderate rise in blood glucose. When we get this high spike, it comes down below the hunger zone. This is often why uh, those that eat very little breakfast, then they have a snack at midday or a snack at, yeah, at uh, 10 or 11, then a spikes the sugar, spikes the insulin. Because it spikes, it brings it down too low, and we get this rabid hunger here that we got to eat something else again. Okay? This is often what happens with diabetics because the insulin is being produced, but the gates in the cell to use the sugar is are, uh, it's closed to the insulin so we don't get to use the sugar. This is why a diabetic is hungry all the time. Okay? So we don't want to eat foods that are high in glycemic index that cause this spiking to occur. That's the principle. We're going to get right to that. We're going to get right, we're going to get to that. So eating high glycemic load meals. Now, we talked about glycemic index. Now I want to move into glycemic load. Glycemic load compared to lower glycemic load meals results in higher 24-hour blood sugar levels, higher insulin, higher glycolated hemoglobin levels. This is hemoglobin A1C, or what we call now A1C. A1C is a blood test the doctors use now. It kind of looks at how well you've managed your blood sugar over the last three months. Okay? It's actually more important than just blood sugar now. Okay? So, obese children ate either instant oatmeal or steel cut. Instant has a high glycemic index. Steel cut has a low. Calories were the same for breakfast and lunch, and they ate whatever they wanted to for supper. After eating instant oatmeal, that's the high glycemic oatmeal, they ate 53% more calories at supper because they weren't satiated for breakfast 
and lunch. Okay? Rats fed a high glycemic diet compared to rats fed a low glycemic diet. They had marked obesity in 32 weeks. In studies conducted with humans, 15 of the 16 studies found lower satiety, that's feeling full, increased hunger, and higher voluntary food intake after eating high versus low glycemic index meals. So what did we learn from this? We want to eat foods that have a lower glycemic index, a lower glycemic load. All right, here's an example. Anything 90 or above, we probably want to stay away from. Okay? So there's the white bread, uh, baked potato. Any kind of potatoes are not good for diabetics. Okay? So eat a little potato, not a big potato. Um, white rice here, 102. Okay? Anything over 90, we probably want to stay away from. Look at this broccoli. I don't care how much broccoli you eat. <laughs> Do we care how much um, Cheerios and cornflakes we eat? Look at cornflakes. It's supposed to be a miracle food. So here's an example of how you can figure this out. And you've got this in your book. I'm not going to go over it very well. Um, but you go through this calculation. In the nurse's health study, a daily glycemic load greater than 150 was linked to a higher risk of heart disease. So that tells me, as a, if you want to listen to science, is that you want to have a daily glycemic load of no more than 150. Okay. So you see here a glycemic load of about 150 has a, uh, a no increased risk of heart disease, but a glycemic load higher than 150 has an increased risk of effect on heart disease, OK? You know, I forgot to hand this around. Come back in about 10 minutes or 30 minutes. Please pass that around and sign your name. <laughs> Sorry about that. So. Here's a glycemic load. The glycemic index and glycemic load um, So here's some examples of glycemic load. Remember, 150 is our target. I don't care how much broccoli you eat. So got a glycemic load of less than one. Well, look at the cornflakes, the white bread, the instant rice. You know, um, one cup of instant ri of rice, and you've got um, one third of all the food you can eat in that day. Okay. So a banana, thirteen. Again, I don't care how much broccoli you eat. Yes. You're going to have to look that up on eatright.org, okay? And they'll give you the put in glycemic load, and it'll tell you exactly what all that is. So if glucose has a glycemic index of 100 and oats about 52, um, we want to eat more of these foods down here, moderate amounts of foods in here and very little amount of these foods over here. I'm not suggesting you never eat these foods, but you want to eat smaller quantities of those foods. So the glycemic load principle is this. These are high gly gly glycemic load, high glycemic load foods. Notice these are all vegetarian. These are low glycemic load foods. Notice also that they're all vegetarian. Okay. Does that kind of give you an idea? In the women's, yes. Some experts feel that if you eat a half a cup of beans at the beginning of your two major meals every day, that helps. Actually, um, I like that idea. 
And that's part of the principles in the uh, full plate diet. Um, you know, eat your salad first, start filling up. Or eat your beans first, get that slow down. Um, and that gets you a satiety that helps you to monitor and manage eating less foods. So glycemic index and risk of diabetes, women who ate the least fiber were twice as likely to get diabetes as those who ate the most fiber. Okay? So eat more high-fiber foods. Protects against constipation, high cholesterol, heart disease, high blood sugar, diabetes, certain cancers, and obesity. Where do we find fiber? All the plant-based foods. Um, fruits and vegetables, legumes, whole grains, nuts and seeds. There's fiber. How much fiber is in, a, is in meat? Well, what about all that stringy stuff you eat? Well, that's the arteries, ligaments, and nerves. Sorry about that. So we need to be eating 38 grams a day if you're a man, a woman, 25 grams or so. The current average in America is 10 to 15 grams of fiber per day. Much, much too low. So look at all the fiber in the fruit there, I um, mean, in, 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 the, in the vegetables and grains. So there's some more principles to eat more fruit. You see all the fiber there? More vegetables, all the fiber. The grains, all the fiber. This, this is in your book, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Legumes, uh, lots of fiber. The juice. Okay, a soft drink has got zero fiber. Um, orange juice, half, where the orange itself would have much more fiber, right? Nuts and seeds even have fiber. So here's the apple. It's got 3.3 grams of fiber, applesauce 1.5, apple juice 0.2, and apple soft drink zero. What should we eat more of? Well, we should eat more of the apple. Moderate amounts of the applesauce and apple juice and none of the soft drink. Okay? Yes? Right. Soluble fiber is better for you, but... Um, Fiber on the food guide pyramid is just, is just fiber. So read the food labels. Estimate the food intake. There's an exercise you can go through there. Look at this typical American uh, meal throughout the day, 4.4 grams of fiber. Even if we doubled that, it's only still less than 10 grams of fiber. And there's a little fiber quiz. Okay. Let's take a break. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.